Hello, I'm Thomas Davis. I'm Minister of the Free Church Congregation in Carloway on the Isle of Lewis. I'm Andy Longway, the Minister and Pastor of the Free Church Congregation in London, London City Presbyterian Church, and welcome to the Jesus Today podcast. We are absolutely delighted to have you with us. We're here to talk about following Jesus today, and we want to help you uh, as disciples of our amazing Saviour. You can connect with us by emailing us on hello at jesustodaypodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter, uh, search Jesus Today Pod, and you can also look for us on other social media. Just type in Jesus Today Podcast and you should find us. Andy, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you. Um, it's a glorious day down in, down here in London, blue skies, and I'm doing some prep for a wedding tomorrow. What about yourself? How are things up in Carloway? Things are good. Uh, not kind of quite blue sky. There's like a couple of tiny segments of blue in amongst a whole pile of grey, but uh, <laughs> it's still decent enough. Kids are off school this weekend, so that's always nice. So life's uh, life's slowing down. We're off to Glasgow tomorrow. Oh, uh, so always very exciting going on a plane, going to a big city. Beautiful. Glasgow's a great <laughs> Off to your homeland, Andy. Exactly. Exactly. We're delighted to have you with us today. This is our first full episode for the Jesus Today podcast. And in order to get us going, we've set ourselves a wee challenge that we want to share with you today. We're asking ourselves, what are three of the challenges that we face following Jesus today? So Andy's picked three things. I've picked three things. We're going to talk through them together. And we've got a couple of other bits and bobs at the end of the podcast that we want you to stay on to listen for as well. So our podcast is Jesus Today. And we want that to be the title that shapes what we talk about. We want to talk about Jesus and we want to talk about the challenges and issues that arise as we all follow him. So, Andy, what are your three things that you would say are the big challenges facing people following Jesus today? So I've been trying to give this a bit of thought this morning, and I think I want to frame it in this way. The world we now inhabit is different from the world we were in, say, even 10 years ago and the world we were born into. And I think one of the huge shifts is we, we now officially live in a secular age. And what I mean by that is that we live in an age where not only is it plausible to live as though there is no God, as though religion is not necessary to one's life, but most and many of our neighbours take that for granted now. Irreligion has become the preferred option for, for many of our neighbours. Now, there are some exceptions to this. I'm here in London, there's lots of immigration, and people who move here often bring with them their religion. But the census of last year in 2021 revealed that in England and Wales, the people who uh, tick the box Christian has now dropped below 50%. And that's the first time that's happened since census was taken. Added to that, the number of people who tick the box no religion has rapidly increase so that so the evidence bears out we live in a secular age and i think just as i think about living and inhabiting this new world a secular age that there are three big challenges one with regards to evangelism how we share the good news of jesus with our neighbors two how we do discipleship how we grow as christians i think the secular age presents many challenges and then added to the secular age that we inhabit, we now live in one of the most technologically advanced ages, not least with digital life, just online life, media. And I think that is a challenge for us following Jesus. So those are my three big things, evangelism, discipleship, and living in a, a digital age. These are the three big challenges. What are your three big challenges? So I've gone for kind of three key words, which we can unpack a wee bit as we chat. First word is relevance. And that kind of echoes some of what you're saying there that, you know, less and less people are identifying as Christians, more and more people say they have no religion. And I think for us as Christians, that makes it challenging to think through, like, how is my faith in Jesus relevant to life, mm. just work, friends, social media, everything. And I think one of the big dangers we face following Jesus today is that you know, we can kind of have almost like a compartmentalization of our lives. So maybe, maybe on a Sunday, or maybe at, a, at our house group, we are focused on our faith and on our church family. But then how to see that as relevant to, to work or friends or sport or hobbies, or all the other stuff that we see going on around us. So 
trying to to recognize how the gospel actually is relevant to absolutely everything. So relevance mm. is a really, I think, a big challenge that I want help with and that I want to help people with myself. My second big word would be confidence. Quite often just now, you know, with the challenges that we speak about in terms of following Jesus today, we come across opposition or confusion or whatever about about the gospel. And we tend to respond in two ways. We're either silent or we shout. So Mm -hmm. we kind of cower away in silence and and don't say anything. Or sometimes we can kind of really go on the offensive and shout quite loudly like, oh, this is wrong. This is bad. This is terrible. And I would actually say that both those things, silence and shouting, reflect a lack of confidence. What we want to develop is that that sense of, uh, of assured confidence that actually what Jesus taught and what he still teaches us through his word is something that we can have a lot of confidence in. So relevance number one, confidence number two, and then third one is perspective. I guess what I mean by that ties in a lot with what you were saying about the the busy social media world that we live in, that it's so easy to be distracted. Mm. And I think so easy to focus on the wrong stuff. We can have lots of stuff in our lives that aren't necessarily bad things. Some of them can be really good things, but we can really easily make them the most important thing in our lives. You know, whenever we make something else really big, we make Jesus smaller in terms of our perspective. And I think that's something that we need help with to have that perspective that recognizes Jesus as Lord over all, recognizes the fact that he's with us every single step we take and for that perspective to shape everything that we do. So so I'm saying relevance, confidence, perspective, and you're saying evangelism, discipleship, digital distraction. That gives us loads to talk about. And I think all of these are highlighting big issues that so many of us face. Evangelism, Andy, let's, let's talk more about that. So one thing I want to say is that living in a secular age, um, although it presents us with many challenges, it also presents us with huge opportunities and not least in the area of evangelism. Evangelism in every generation, you know, from the days of the apostles has always been hard, often slow, often tough. They were in a religious pagan culture. It wasn't easy sharing the gospel. Many of the first followers of Jesus lost their lives. We're not in that context. But I do think that sharing the gospel today in the 21st century has become hard work. Now, we believe in the supernatural. We believe it's God at work in us and through us. And so I'm just speaking here at a human level. But just thinking through the age we now live in, those people, say, who ticked the box they would no longer identify as religious, perhaps once would have ticked the box where they would have identified as Christians. One of the shifts that happens, and it only really happens in a secular age, is that when you reject Christianity, that's where, you know, secularism in many ways is born out of, that rejection means that you look back on Christianity and Christians as the problem and the bad guys. So Christianity Mm. right now in, in our cultural moment at least orthodox Christianity, traditional Christianity, it looks like it's on the wrong side of history. Many of uh, society's mm-hmm. big issues today, the social ills, many point as the, as the source, the, 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 the cause of many of these problems is Christianity. And so today, many people who identify as non-religious, who, who long for a secular culture, they celebrate and indeed champion the collapse of Christianity. The quicker we get rid of it, the better our society will become. As Christians, that immediately puts us on the back foot. We've kind of never been in this position before because we've been living really uh, in a world of Christendom where the culture was nominally Christian, our views uh, were respected, they were even taught in, in schools and educational establishments. There was cultural capital for Christianity, especially here mm, in the UK. Yeah. But now we're living in a world where that's changed. And even as we seek to engage with our secular neighbours, who now many of them live with a worldview, for them, they just take for granted that there is no God and religion is not important to life. It's really hard when, when we communicate the gospel to them because we, we're starting from two different major assumptions. And I think some of us as Christians... We know that, but we don't sometimes evangelize in light of that. 
I think another huge yeah. shift that's taken place in that regard is when it comes to the communication of the good news of Christianity is that many people who, who have been raised and reared in a secular culture, they don't prize object of truth the way that Christians or the way that truth was, say, prized even 50 years ago in our culture. There's a huge emphasis on subjectivity, one's experience, one's feelings, mm. your truth, my truth, identity. There is no standard of morality that's recognised across our society. Perhaps 50 years ago, people would have looked at the judo-Christian worldview and said, you know, that's a general standard for morality. Well, now things that were once viewed as good are said to be evil. And those things that once a society said we think they were wrong are now celebrated and championed as good. And once again, I think when it comes to the sharing of the good news of the gospel, that presents huge challenges if we don't act in light of that, because so many of our assumptions are so different. And so just the communication of the gospel to our neighbours, the question that, you know, is, is kind of in my head is, what does it look like to evangelise those who don't want to be evangelised at all by Christians? Because we're the biggest problem. Yeah. Now, let me be clear, the call to evangelism remains the same. Um, no culture is unreachable. The power's in the, go the, in, in the God of the gospel. And we know that he's more powerful than any of our cultural changes. And we know that he's in the business of changing hearts and minds. But I do think that just living, inhabiting this secular age presents us with huge challenges when it comes to the communication of the good news of the gospel. Thomas, would you, would you agree with yeah, that? Add anything totally. to that? Yeah, totally agree. I think, in fact, I, I heard a, just a really fascinating example of that. I was listening to a, a podcast two or three weeks ago. It was uh, two presenters who had interviewed a minister uh, in the Church of England, I think, and it was in the context of the debate they had having about gay marriage. The two presenters were basically saying, you know, for them not to allow gay marriage in their churches is just so unkind. Mm -hmm. And just exactly what you're saying there, that, that the perception was that our Christian morality was actually horrible and, you know, unkind. And like you say, it means that we are trying to connect with people. It's not really neutral, you know, yeah. so when people tick that box that says no religion, that's not really a neutral statement. No. Um, it actually tends to be more, uh, I, I actually am pretty, pretty negative about, yeah. about Christianity. You're listening to, to, to that, you know, we're, we're accepting that reality and, and recognising this the question that always comes to my mind is like, what what do we do? What's mm. Where do we start yeah, with that kind of thing? Well, I think number one, I, this is a huge challenge, but it is an incredible opportunity. And Jesus, this is where he really speaks into our lives. He calls us to love our neighbor as we would love ourselves. Mm. And I think as we seek to engage with this age, we need to be listening to the, the questions that they're asking, responding to the things that they say, keep them from believing. So many people will say, they look at the history of the church on say social justice issues and the church is found wanting, whether it's the church's history with slavery, whether it's the church's history on, on gender issues, on the treatment of people who, who identify as LGBT. They point to the past and sometimes we as Christians, even in our response, when you, you mentioned earlier, we tend to either shout or we remain silent, we, we, we don't have much to say. But Jesus calls us mm -hmm. to, one, be honest, tell the truth. So we can look at the Bible and we can see that many of God's people in different ages, Old Testament, New Testament, were sinful people. They were broken. They, 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 they missed the mark. Mm -hmm. But that's what being a Christian actually is. It's the admitting that, you know, we, we, we get things wrong. We need a saviour. We need transformation. So one, I would say being honest with who we are as Christians does not mean that we are coming saying we've got it all together, we understand it, and we are the answer to the world in the sense that you can look at us and we're perfect because we're far from that. The second thing that Jesus, when I say love our neighbour, is if we're going to engage a secular age, I think that takes hard work. So it's listening, it's welcoming people, mm. inviting them into our lives, being invited into their lives to understand I think in a world where, say, objectivity is not as prized as it once was and subjectivity is, we can often just laugh at that, mock that, scorn that. But it is interesting hearing people's experience because often it's in those moments that we know that the gospel tells a better story. It actually speaks mm. right into their subjective experience, but it's actually based on an objective reality that, that God has established.
it's a huge challenge, but I think it presents us a huge opportunity. And Jesus is the, the one in whose steps we follow. We're wanting to follow after him. And he managed to love people really well, listen to people really well, answer their questions, invite people into his life. That sets us yeah. with a paradigm of how we can go about it. What you said there is so helpful because, you know, the word I, like my first word was relevance. And, mm, yeah. you know, I was just, just as you were talking there, I was thinking, you know, Jesus' command to love our neighbour, that command alone is enough to make the gospel relevant to every single aspect of life. Like yeah. everything. Yeah. Because you, know, you try to ask someone to church, they can say no. You yeah. you try to give them a, a good book or a tract or whatever, they can say no, thank you. You can take them, say, oh, there's a, there's a Christianity Explored course. I'd love to take you along. They can say, oh, no, I can't. I'm, I'm busy that night. People can kind of refuse those things and, and very politely. Um, and, and it can be a dead end. But no one can stop you from loving them. And no one can, can, can get in the way of that great command for us to just show love to our neighbour. I think that's where I think the word relevance is so important. We think about, you know, what makes what makes Christianity relevant to people's lives. And sometimes we can think to ourselves, you know, we want to think, you know, how does how does Christianity connect with social media or how does Christianity meet with all the changes in the Western world or whatever else. And, and all that's fine and that's good. But like the number one thing that can make the gospel relevant is the fact that we can go out and, and show love to people in a world that is absolutely craving for that yeah. love and yeah. care from from people. And that's what I think is so dangerous about a kind of compartmentalized life as a disciple. So I live I live in a very different place to you. So so you're in London and and you got every worldview, everything in in front of you. And and Christianity can be perceived positively and negatively. I live in a rural community which is so different but yet so similar. And one of the things that is different is that you know, here, everybody knows everyone. Everybody knows everything. That's the fascinating thing that you live in a city of, I don't know, four, five, six million people. I live, a, I live in a village of about 400 people, but I, I'm probably more known in a way than, mm. than you are because yeah. it's so easy to be anonymous in a city. Whereas here in, the, here in a community, everyone knows you. That's a really positive thing, but it can be a dangerous thing because it means that if, if we live our lives as Christians, whereby we're one thing on a Sunday and then we're a different thing during the week, everyone can see it. Mm-hmm. If we, you know, come together on a Sunday and we are with our lips saying that we love Jesus, that we love our neighbor, but then through the week we are difficult to work with or unpleasant to our neighbors or whatever it may be, that's instantly seen and it instantly yeah. undermines our efforts to share the gospel. And I think that's why it's so important to to recognize that that the gospel's relevant to every single part of our lives, that just as we get up on a Sunday morning thinking, you know, I want to go to church, I want to participate well in the service uh, and, and worship my saviour, we need to get up every morning thinking, I want to love my neighbour and mm. I want to be the best, the best person that they meet today. I want to be the biggest encourager, the most helpful person that they come across so that I stand out. And this is what I love about Jesus, because, you know, we talk about all the challenges that we face today for evangelism, for relevance. You know, actually just loving each other yeah. is, is, is just a massive way of it's cutting through all of that. And then and then Jesus is like, uh, yeah, that's the most important <laughs> commandment I gave you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Katrina Lamont, the project manager of Sparkle Sisters, which is a ministry of St. Columbus Free Church set in the heart of Edinburgh on the Royal Mile. We work with women who have been affected in some way by homelessness, showing God's love in a very practical way by bringing them much appreciated evenings of pamper, fun and friendship. We also run a course for women who have suffered abuse of any kind, walking alongside them to help them to rewrite their story. Check out our Sparkle Sisters website And if you'd like to help us to bring the love of Christ to many more women in Edinburgh, feel free to donate through St. Columbus Free Church website. Thomas, your second point was confidence. Why don't you unpack that for us? I think that's a massive issue. And and I say that partly because of my own experience. I remember 20, oh man, probably nearly 25 years ago, 
I left school and I worked as a postie. And there was a guy working there. He was a really nice guy, but I would have described him as like an evangelistic atheist. So he was an atheist and he wanted everybody else to be atheists as well. And, you know, he would sort of ask questions about, he would talk about evolution, about history, this, that, and the next thing. I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to answer his questions. And I just went for the, went for the silence option. There were one or two other guys uh, who were Christians. I think uh, some of them maybe went a bit more for the shout option, you know, so you're facing opposition and you, you're just like, no, that's wrong. And I think both come from a lack of confidence. I tend to be more the kind of silent side of things. So if somebody would have said something, asked a question and I didn't know what to say, I'd have just kind of mumbled something and then just run away. Other people tend to be much more, you know, confrontational in, in their approach, but both are unhelpful, I think. And if you look at Jesus, you know, he didn't do either of those things. Instead, in Jesus, you just see this this magnificent confidence. Um, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes he is more gentle and sometimes he is more bold. But even, even across that different settings, uh, you see the same thing. You just see uh, someone so sure of his mission, so sure of his father's love, uh, so sure of the truth of what he's proclaiming, and so sure that, that, that what he's saying is actually what these people desperately need to hear, even though some of them were, were very much put off by what Jesus said. And so, you know, we need confidence to be able to address the kind of issues that we face. And that raises the question, well, well where do you get it? What I would say, and I've said this from my own experience, is so much of my confidence has grown by learning more about Jesus, mm. by learning more about what he's done, and and really by learning more theology. I remember when we met Andy, uh, it was in 2011, so that's nearly 12 years ago, we were starting off our theology studies at Edinburgh Theological Seminary. And I'd been an engineer before that, and I came to study for ministry, and I, I knew, I knew nothing. And I can still remember hearing you and some of the other guys talking about this guy, John Piper. And I'm like, who the heck is John Piper? I don't know who that is. And I'd never heard of anyone. I didn't know anything about theology. And, you know, and at that time, I didn't feel confident at all in terms of mm-hmm. facing questions. But as I learned more, learned more about the reality of who God is and what he's done through his son, Jesus, I would say that it's, it's made a massive difference to my confidence in terms mm. of being able to think through the issues um, and challenges that, that we do face as, as followers of Jesus. What do you think yourself? No, I think I think you've nailed it there. And one of the things that our friendship does is that you give me confidence as we, we talk often about the issues we're facing, but it always ends with you bringing it back to Jesus and the gospel. And the more that we grow in uh, the knowledge of Jesus and the gospel, it does, it just instills confidence, especially when you know we're loved, especially when we know that we're equipped by his spirit, especially when we know we're armed with his promises. We can go forward mm. in confidence. And just like you, that, I think when you when were young um, students of theology, if you heard me talking about theology, well, that was a, a full confidence, you know, complete imposter. I knew very little as well in, in the exact same yeah. boat. Um, and often just speaking out of ignorance. And I think the best thing we can do is all of us as Christians is just to learn to sit at the feet of Jesus. And as you grow there, it's just out of the overwhelming gratitude that you want to go forth and serve. Mm. Today, when we we see some Christians say with a confidence, and especially in their cultural engagement, or as they want to engage people with the gospel. And as you put it at the very outset of the show, was that you know they want to shout. And that does belie or betray sometimes a lack of confidence there, you know there's that saying uh, when you're when you're preaching a sermon if your your argument's weak shout and <laughs> sometimes i see christians on social media i see christians you know when they're engaged in different places and they come across as angry they're just wanting to lob stones mm. at the other side whereas the more you spend time with jesus you realize wow his calling is to go and love our neighbor to walk with them to get mm. to know them. And it's Jesus that gives us that confidence. I'm with you there, brother. Absolutely. How does that feed into discipleship, Andy? That's, that was your second word. Come, um, yeah, discipleship. Yeah, tell me a bit more about, about that. Yeah, so I, 
just you know falling on the back of just you know the the, the whole secular age I, I i think discipleship is a really fascinating thing in our day and age because often we're being discipled by people or or we were historically speaking been discipled by and large by people who were of our parents generation many of the leaders in the church today are, are baby boomers but the one reality for sure is is that they grew up in a world uh, were shaped and formed in a very different world that many of us now inhabit and are growing up in. There is in the church um, this huge generational gap. I think older generation, they, they can have a tendency, they, they look at the younger generation and they think to themselves, man, they're crazy. Like they're, they're discussing identity <laughs> politics. They're always banging on about social justice. They're the things that they're interested in or the things that they're wrestling with amongst their peers, they, they cannot relate. And then I think the younger generation, they look at the older generation and they just roll their eyes. The younger mm -hmm. generation, one of the things we, we don't realise it, but we inhabit this technologically advanced world where we probably are, are better equipped and able using that than our parents' generation. Um, we consume information in a very different way. We can sometimes look at the older generation with a bit of just cynicism. As I've looked at it in recent days, one of the things that's taken is the older generation look at the younger generation and say, the millennial generation, Generation Z, they're often called the justice generation. They all want to make a difference. They all want to go in a gap year. They all want to speak out on issues. Mm. Uh, they want to fight justice issues. I actually think that is a reaction to what they saw when they looked at the older generation. So they saw that their parents mm. prized orthodoxy. They prized the faith. But the younger generation weren't convinced that their parents had a faith that worked. Yeah, your faith is right, mm. but is actually effective. Yeah, your faith might be true, but is it beautiful? Is it improving this world? Mm. And, and, and so in an overreaction, they've become the, the generation that's really passionate about works, about justice, and so on and so forth. And there is that statement in, in, in James's letter, Jesus younger brother that faith without works is dead and so they they, they, they they latch onto that and say you know we want to be a generation that's passionate about works the older generation however they they look on at the younger generation and 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 where they really are suspicious and have a bit of distrust and a bit of cynicism is they see a lot of accommodation to the modern culture they don't see the younger generation mm. holding on to their same convictions prizing the same I would actually say sometimes it's not principles, but it's sometimes preferences. So the older, older generation might hearken mm. to a, a, a more glory day where they think whether it's, I don't know, the style of worship should feel a bit more traditional or the interest yeah. one should have as a Christian are, are different. Whereas the younger generation, they look at those preferences and they're like, no, 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 no. We want a principle that makes a difference in the world. And so discipleship, I think, has become challenging because You've got an older generation that's prizing orthodoxy, a younger generation is prizing orthopraxy, so orthodoxy being right thinking, orthopraxy being right living. And instead of those two things being held together as Jesus holds them both beautifully together, it seems mm. that there's a bit of a mm -hmm. generational war. And I, and I see that just in, yeah. my own, in my own home with my mum. We'll have conversations and she thinks, she looks at the church today and she thinks, oh, accommodating to modern culture, I look at her generation and I see they know they, they they really took their faith seriously. They really took their convictions seriously. But you ask yourself, why are we in this culture where we're at today? And it's often because they were not passionate about seeing their faith engage the culture and the people round about them. And yeah. so in that sort of world, I think discipleship is really difficult. I, I don't know if I've got as many answers. I see that there are opportunities. I think the older generation, they need the younger generation. The younger generation, of course, need the older generation. And yeah. so in that, I think the, Jesus speaks into that because both have to die to self. Both have to have the humility yes. to learn yeah. and grow. But I do think that is difficult. The older generation could help us a lot by saying, listen, here are the convictions of God's word. Here's the orthodox truth that we must hold fast to contend for. But they need to do it also with that open-handed mm -hmm. sense and say, yeah, go out and live this out as best as you can. And we, we love that and want to encourage that. The younger generation need to see, yeah, we love our neighbours. We want to love them. We want to reach them. But we probably need to grow. We need to be teachable. 
Um, we need to see even just mm. the value of ordinary faithfulness to loving the Lord in our marriages and our raising of the kids. And sometimes the younger generation, they, 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 they don't perhaps prize commitment. They don't prize these things. And so when I think yeah. of discipleship, that, yeah. those are some of the challenges. Yeah, I think that's just just bang on what you're saying there, Andy. And and this this maybe sounds like a really depressing thing to say, and I don't mean it in that way. But just as you were talking there, you know, when we think about our our, our discipleship as Christians, whether we're older generation, younger generation, or, or whichever, I think a really wise question to ask ourselves is, what am I neglecting? Hmm. Um, because I think if if I, I think about my my health, for example, I kind of maybe go through phases where I'm like, okay, I've got to be really careful about what I eat. So I'm really careful about what I eat, but but then I don't exercise. I just spend my whole time sitting at my desk doing doing nothing. Uh, and then other times I'm maybe like, oh, I'm going to exercise more and I'm playing football or sport or whatever each week. And then you think, oh, well, I can eat a bit more and I get away with this. And so you, by focusing on one thing, one. you neglect another. And I definitely think that applies to us in terms of our discipleship, that if we home in and think, right, I've, I've got to make sure my theology is bang on. As you do that, I mean, that's a good thing. Like I would, I would always say do yeah, that. That's... But while you do that, you've got to ask yourself the question, what am I neglecting? And the same is true in the other. Because I think the reality we've got to face is that we are always going to be neglecting something in our discipleship. And it's, it's only by being aware of that and thinking that through that we'll be careful mm -hmm. to try and, and hold, these things, uh, hold these things together. Tom Shuhid, relevance, confidence, and then your third word? Third word was perspective. Perspective. Perspective, yeah. So yeah. ties in quite a lot with what you're saying, actually, Andy, like, you know, thinking about what to focus on. You know, some generations will, will focus on and think, right, okay, as, if, as long as we've absolutely got the gospel truths nailed, then we're where we need to be. And like you say, other generations might be more, you know, as long as I'm doing something that meaningfully makes a difference, you know, mm. that's, that's the key thing. And so all of that, I think, does come down to perspective. You know, what, what we're looking at, what we're focusing on, and what we're prioritizing. And it can often, you know, perspective, I think, is a really helpful thing to think about as, as, a, um, as, a, as a Christian, because you can be looking at something that is good and that is important and really helpful. But if that absolutely dominates your perspective, then it's going to leave you blind to other stuff or certainly leaving you not focusing on stuff in the way that you should. And it's really interesting because one of the things that I was thinking under this heading of perspective is, and it ties in with what you were saying there, is I think one of the key things that we need to recognize is how much we need each other. Mm. And that is definitely well, that's um, definitely a massive challenge in the world that we live in just now. I think for a couple of reasons. One, because of the generational gap you spoke about there. So I think the older generation can maybe be at risk of of not recognizing just how much you know they need the younger ones, and vice versa. Older ones think, oh, these younger ones think, oh, these old these old people they're they're clueless. They don't understand modern modern life, and actually we absolutely need each other so much mm -hmm. but the second thing which which ties into that is that you know we live in such an individualistic individual focused culture so you know my preferences my convictions my priorities my dreams are all so so important and i think that 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 perspective needs to shift a wee bit where we actually realize that you cannot you just cannot thrive on the path of discipleship on your own yeah. and you cannot thrive on the path of discipleship thinking that you know your your feelings or your thoughts or your dreams are the you know are the ultimate source of of authority and and you just kind of pick and choose the people who agree with you who don't agree you actually we need each yeah. other so much we mm. need different people's voices we need to see different people's perspective and and actually we need each other's different opinions mm. and that's something that i you know um you know i think i've i've probably been at risk you know certainly in my younger days as a christian of just wanting to surround myself with the people who thought the same way that i thought yeah. um but actually sitting down and talking to people uh who, who think very differently from me has actually always benefited me it doesn't doesn't mean i always end up agreeing with them but yeah. it definitely means i learn from them and 
So that that perspective of how much we need each other, I think, is is massively important. No, Thomas, that's that's a brilliant point, and yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head that we need each other. It's interesting in ministering in London. We have a, a, a relatively young congregation, but um, very diverse people coming from all walks of life, backgrounds, countries. We've got a, a delivery driver. We've got a, a journalist. We've got lawyers, so on and so forth. And you, you get this mix. And then add to the mix, when you come from a different country, so you come from a, a capitalist country, one of the leading Western countries, and then say so you come from one of the leading Eastern countries, or you come from a communist Eastern European country, or just like a, a really underdeveloped um, global South country. In those moments, I, I often see people who really disagree, say, politically speaking, economically speaking. Mm. And sometimes I, I can see because for, for many of us, myself included, we've just lived in an echo chamber. We've had our own worldview reinforced. We think we're right. But when you're around a table, you're having a meal, you quickly realise, I don't know as much as I think I know. And and there are <laughs> things... Now, it doesn't mean that we change our opinion and everything, but there are times where I, I've had to just eat humble pie where someone from a mm. different culture just has a far greater insight uh, into life. So I think of, you know, one time just speaking, you know, we need perspective... I've often started to say we live in a secular culture and we live in an increasingly hostile culture. And that is true in one sense. Mm. We live in a hostile culture. But it's not true. Because we have brothers and sisters who are coming from, say, Nigeria, and they know of family, friends, other brothers and sisters in Christ who are literally being killed or abducted for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. That's a hostile culture. In our culture, we have freedom to practice yeah. our religion, we have freedom and we've even got protections written in law that would mean that if, you know, if we were to go to court, there, there could be a defence be made for us. Whereas in some of these contexts, they have none of that. Mm -hmm. And it's sometimes just getting perspective, um, which requires yourself, yeah. you know, being taken out of your own little bubble and your own little world and the things that you deem as precious. Yeah, that's a brilliant point, Andy, because that, that perspective, we can so often and um, so often just be... Uh, we're just caught up in our own wee world and we yeah. can actually sometimes find ourselves thinking it's super tough for us when actually you look globally and you realize man actually um, it's so different for so many people that's right last thing we had our our, our, our final one uh, you mentioned just the whole digital uh, distraction um just your phone pinging every five minutes uh, yeah. latest thing to check on social media um latest news headline coming through that's a big challenge surely andy what do you think yeah, no, huge challenge. I, I, I was having a conversation with some um, guys and girls on Sunday and asked them, what, what would you say is the biggest challenge to following Jesus? And I think this was number one, just following Jesus mm. in an age where they're so so easily distracted by the digital reality, 24-hour news cycle. Um, sometimes, you know, it feels like there's earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. There's, you know, other um, natural disasters happening down in New Zealand. There's war and Ukraine, there's all of these things. And w when you, you end up carrying that and taking that on, and so sometimes, as you, you said at the outset of the show, when you, you can lose perspective where Jesus grows small and everything else grows big, one of the challenges of following Jesus in a digital age is, is what should I be priori prioritizing? I think another huge challenge is our phones. They're incredible do devices. like. We can communicate to our friends and family in an instant, live. It's it, it's just truly incredible. We've got information uh, on tap as we need it. But the, the downside of that is it means that we're always accessible. So if you can't get me by email, you can phone me, you can text me, you can Facebook message me, you can check my Instagram, you can, you know, whatever it is, TikTok. There's just so many ways. And when you pull your phone out, you get so many notifications. And so sometimes it's just hard to concentrate on the things either God has given us to do in our work or in our spiritual lives. The digital age kind of just always forces, always prov provides opportunities for us to be distracted and to be hurried in life. Yeah. And I don't think that bodes well with Christian formation and spirituality. Mm. In one sense, we were. It's, it's, I think it's one of the most beautiful things in the world to live in a globalised world. 
But in one sense, we don't have the emotional um, and mental and even intellectual resources to take on ourselves all the problems of, of the world as if, you know, we need to be up to date with the latest aspect of news. We mm. just can't take that on. And sometimes I think what's ended up happening is, is we've become, we're consumers of so much information, but the people who are right in front of us, our neighbours, our colleagues, our families, mm. we sometimes fail in our responsibility to love them and live meaningfully with them. I think the digital age is doing an incredible job at discipling us. So if you're on Twitter, if you're on social media, often it's your algorithms. And so, you know, there's so many young guys I'm chatting to and mm. just to use this as an illustration, there was a conversation taking place at our, our dinner, uh, our meal table on Sunday and some young guys were chatting about right-wing American politics because that's just what's really important mm -hmm. to them. You know, I, I group of young teenagers in our church were chatting about Andrew Tate and his importance. And then another mm -hmm. group were chatting about just some left-wing radical politics. And and it just struck me is that yeah. a lot of the things that they're consuming and being discipled, they're really passionate about, they're being discipled by social media and their algorithms, and they don't know it. That does present a That's challenge. such a perceptive point, yeah. And I think these are things that we're, we're going to pick up on and talk about more uh, as our podcast season goes through. You know, you, you touched on how, you know, social media can be such a good thing and, and it brings so many challenges. Just to kind of speak very personally for a minute, I'm not a big social media user, so I don't really have many social media accounts at all. And people would say, oh, okay, that's because you're not bothered by social media. Mm. Actually, it's because I'm too bothered by social media. Mm. And I think that's a huge challenge for us as Christians that the, the kind of response that we get on social media, whether we get likes, whether we get impact and stuff like that, that bothers me too much. And in a funny way, I think it's a challenge that can face ministers um, in particular, you know, yeah. uh, especially because, you know, like our sermons go online and things like that. Oh, how many how many uh, people are listening? I remember in COVID when all our sermons went online, you know, you'd go on YouTube and you're like, oh, only got 30 views today. <laughs> oh, Andy got 60 or oh, something tough like that. You know, and, and I find in my heart, like that could be a breeding ground for sin. And Absolutely. That's no. that's definitely yeah. something where we've we've got to just guard our hearts and again comes yeah. back to needing each other as well and and actually finding that identity in Jesus that that mm. is so important. Andy, that's been such a good conversation about these things. So we've got our we've got our six six things: challenge of evangelism, discipleship, digital distraction, relevance, confidence, perspective. In many ways, they all tie in together, um, and they're all they're all challenges that we know you face. And we face them as well, and we absolutely want to help you navigate them. Just to wrap up this section of the podcast, Andy, uh, what kind of one word, uh, one sentence piece of advice would you give to our listeners about all of this? And I'll give you one myself after. Honestly, I want to just say, sit at the feet of Jesus. Um, take heart. Mm. He's overcome the world. And learn from him how you can love uh, your neighbour and indeed yourself um, and out of the overflow of that so that we can see uh, the, the good news of Christianity spread far and wide. What's your one line? I think um, maybe this sounds daft but what comes to my mind is nothing can undo the resurrection mm. and I think it's so important to remember that that mm. you know sometimes when we face challenges we people confront us and you think, oh my goodness, that's just pulling the pulling the rug from under my faith. My foundations have crumbled. I don't know what to do. I don't have an answer to this. I'm, I'm stuck. And it's almost as though, you know, the 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 atheist you're talking to uh, or whoever it might be has, it feels as though they've undone the resurrection. No one can undo the resurrection. No one can undo the resurrection. Jesus died. He rose again. And if we if we don't know what to say or if we don't have a, have a response, it's not because Jesus hasn't risen from the dead enough. It's just because we haven't learned enough yet as Christians. Yeah. And we can we can go back to our brothers and sisters and, and we can learn from one another and become better equipped. So I guess it's just to sort of say, just don't panic. Like, don't mm. don't panic when you face these challenges. Um, you, the, all of this challenge, the the. The entire wave of secularism that's sweeping through Western society cannot, will not, has not 
undone the resurrection. Thomas, there's been so much we've agreed upon there, and uh, it's great. But let's just be honest with our listeners. We don't agree on everything. We agree on the main thing, Jesus, the gospel. We share that. We agree even in our uh, friendship and our love for one another. But there are areas in life where we have some disagreements. So I was wondering, do you have a topic where we could perhaps flesh out some things where we, we don't we don't see eye to eye on it? I do indeed. Well, I in fact, I have several topics. So this is a segment that we're going to have in every podcast. It's called He's Right, I'm Wrong. I'm going to pick out, I've got a, got a few post-its in front of me, and I'm going to randomly pick one up, and it's going to pick up a topic which I'm pretty certain we're going to disagree on, and um, we'll have to model good disagreement. Okay, so ready, Andy? Let's see what we've got. Ooh, best music in the last 20 years. Okay, Andy? Oh, best music in the last 20 years. What would you say? Well, I've got a very eclectic taste in music. Yeah, the best music in the last 20 years. See, I, I find that hard because I've got so many, but I'm, I'm going to go with one where I know we disagree on. So I, I love, I was raised in a culture where I, I listened to a lot of rap music and uh, indeed rap R&B music. music. Yeah, and the art that is rap and uh, music is in that, that, Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, that, those two words don't go in the same sentence, Andy. Art <laughs> and rap, that is just... <laughs> Listen, <laughs> listen, Thomas. You get no appreciate appreciation of true art and beauty. The if you want to hear some of the best um, philosophers are of our age on love, on hate, on so many you know topics that are just so relevant. You can find some of the best music. Some of the most gifted music artists are those who can rap about it. Andy. Andy, my 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 admiration for you is plummeting by the second. This is I, I'm going to have to educate philosophy, you. Love hate. I don't don't even know what they're saying. It's impossible to understand. Oh. I mean, so like I forget that. I mean, this is an easy one for me. I'm I'm the clear winner. Best music in the past twenty years is a no brainer. Run rig. Oh my god! Absolutely Come no on. question. <laughs> 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 I can't. I can't help it. If 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 the best best musicians, best band has has been undiscovered outside the borders of Scotland, you only have like fault. one major objective reality. That <laughs> they don't need it. They don't. We don't need. We don't need public public approval to know that we're good. So Aww. it's not. It's not like. It's not like rap that if you, unless you unless you got kind of chart hits and. Brit Awards or whatever, it's all that kind of superficial rubbish that's just a nonsense. Runrig, it's just incredible music. It's so true to to the history. You're never going to convince me. Challenges <laughs> and struggles of Scotland is so powerful. The music, the 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 composition of each piece, absolutely outstanding. Runrig like blows your Eminem and your <laughs> Snoop Doggy, what's his face, right out the window. <laughs> Oh, Thomas, I, I just feel for you. I, I, I really do. And I, I should probably confess that that there is no rap music on my Spotify playlist wow. apart from one song, which I do happen to love. Which song? MC Hammer, You Can't Touch Me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how we live Thomas, in it. our friendship is <laughs> I've now got an image of you dancing to MC Hammer. <laughs> Fantastic. Bit of MC Hammer, and bit of Protect and Survive from Rumrig. That is where it's at. So, well, I don't know who's right, who's wrong. He's right, he's wrong. Maybe this one's a draw. I don't know. You can send us your comments, whether it's <laughs> Rumrig or Rap. Uh, we can find out next time who comes out on yeah. top. Yeah. Before we close, Andy, um, we are so excited and uh, privileged to be partnering with Christian Focus Publications uh, in bringing you this podcast. We're so grateful for their sponsorship and support. Uh, And so each episode, we want to take the opportunity uh, to recommend a a book that's been published by Christian Focus. They give books on a huge range of topics, uh, but all of them are centered on the reality of who Jesus is and the hope of the gospel. And uh, Christian Focus has been a wonderful publication company for the past uh, number of decades, staying faithful to the truth of God's word, but reaching out uh, to the world that we're in today uh, with that message. So we've got a book that we want to rec- recommend, um, but I'm going to get you to do it because I'm too embarrassed to. One of their, their, this is hot off the press. 
um, published just last month a book by yours truly yourself, um, Thomas Davis, God is God and you are you finding confidence for sharing our faith. We've been talking about evangelism, we've been talking about uh, discipleship. Um, I actually had the privilege of writing an endorsement, this is what I said on the back of it, um, with a pastor's heart and a passion for theology, Thomas reminds us of how incredible God is, how brilliant his plans are, how good the gospel is, and how blessed we are to share it. And I cannot recommend this book anymore. I had the privilege of reading it just when you were you were drafting it, you were sending the chapters. It is truly terrific. The basic emphasis of the book is that it's it's aiming to give you uh, some of the key theological truths that can that that should undergird our evangelism. And I think that that is correcting, I think, a mistake that we can easily make, whereby we, we maybe put theology to one side and think, oh, that's something that theologians do. And then we have the mission of the church on the other side, where we think, okay, that's what we do in the life of the local congregation, reaching out with the gospel. And what the book's trying to do is actually bring those two together to show that the theological truths that run right through scripture and that lie at the heart of the gospel, they are actually foundational to evangelism. But not only that, they're a powerhouse of encouragement for evangelism. And I think that the main thing that's been emphasized in the book is what the title suggests, that God is God. So he is the one who is able and willing and strong enough and powerful enough to, to be working in the, the lives of your family, your friends, your colleagues, and your community, but also that you are you. And what I'm trying to say in that is that, you know, we can often think, oh, to be an evangelist, I'm going to, I'm so bad at it, I'm going to have to have a complete personality transplant if I'm going to be able to accomplish anything. And the book's trying to explain that that's not actually true, that God works through an amazing range of people, uh, those who are loud, those who are quiet, those who are confident cooking, those who uh, can't stand ever having to, to feed people, whatever it may be, you know, our gifts, our strengths and weaknesses, just you as you are uh, in the situation that you're in, uh, you are someone that God can use so powerfully. So that's what I'm trying to, to convey in the book. Thomas, absolutely spot on. Uh, I highly recommend all our listeners to go out and buy it. God is God. You are you uh, from Christian Focus. Well, thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. Uh, we'll be dropping into your feed every two weeks. As long as you press subscribe or follow, make sure you never miss an episode. Uh, please do email us with any questions, any thoughts you have. Our inbox is always open and we will dedicate, God willing, some episodes to answering your questions. So the email is hello at jesustodaypodcast.com. You can tweet at jesustodaypod and find us elsewhere on social media by searching Jesus Today Podcast. Thank you so much for listening.